If I'm going to write a book, then it's going to it's going to be honest. I'm James Zug, and this is Outside the Glass. This summer, Laura Massaro published her memoir, All In, Becoming World Champion. It's one of the very few books that's ever been written by a woman squash professional. And as we talk here, it's also shares in a very strange coincidence, the same title with Billie Jean King's recently published memoir. Massaro's All In is an unflinching look at her parents, coaches, teammates, opponents, even her husband and coach, Danny Massaro. One hand, it's an apology for her so-called ice queen persona that she had on tour. But on the other hand, it's an exploration or even acceptance of that persona. It's very, very insightful about her path to greatness. All In is also out now on Audible. It's read by Laura and some of the other contributors, so that's a great uh, a great difference for our game to have an Audible book. Laura grew up in Lancashire, England, and was a top junior, but not that many people predicted that she'd become world champion. By dint of hard work, she broke into the world top 10 in 2007, and from June 2008 through her retirement in May 2019, she remained there, an extraordinary run. She captured 23 tournaments, including two U.S. Opens, two British Opens, and in March 2014, the World Championship. 40 times she played Nicole David, her rival, and Laura won 11 of those matches. It was a pretty remarkable career. Since retiring, she's written this book, done some coaching, supported Danny as he finished his PhD, and as of last week, the mother of a baby boy, Leo. I began our conversation by asking Laura why she wrote the book. There was a couple of reasons for wanting to write the book. Um, one, and probably the main reason, was um, at the how, how much at reading other people's books and experiences have really helped me. And toward at the end of the book, I actually list all of the books that I've read over my career. You know, and that's a list of books that I feel have helped my squash, not not Harry Potter novels and and such. <laughs> so right. Right. I was really grateful for people who've put their story forward. And, you know, as I talk about in the book, a lot of those stories helped me win matches. They helped me win tournaments and they motivated me. And, you know, I felt like the persona that I gave across and a lot of what maybe people perceived my 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 personality to be on the squash court wasn't always necessarily true it wasn't what was happening behind the scenes it certainly isn't who I am as a person it's who I am as a squash player and I and I played up to that to a certain degree so it was an interesting kind of dynamic to try and reveal a little bit of you know this mental ice queen persona that people thought was going on that perhaps maybe wasn't always the case Um, And then secondly, more like on an ego basis was probably a bit like, I don't think there's many female players, if any, that I can think of that have written a book. And um, I I thought I wanted to kind of follow in the men's footsteps and be one of the first. So there was definitely a bit of motivation for that as well. Yeah, I think uh, it's interesting that bibliography was great. I, I was disappointed my my books, uh, my squash books, hadn't inspired you. But I I I, I loved some. Of, I've read some of the other books that that, that you mentioned in the back there, and it, it's a great sort of collection. Uh, there are other books that have been written by women squash pros. Uh, there's probably a half dozen, including uh, Maria Torquay's uh, memoir that came out a couple of years ago. But yours. Um, I found was really engaging uh, and, and, and it was interesting how you 
you know, you opened up a lot, uh, a lot more than some, some, some books do about, you know, some of the negative things that have happened and the ups and downs and relationships and changing coaches and, and kind of, uh, you know, how you were feeling about yourself and your squash. It was, it was quite a sort of honest, uh, honest book. Yeah, exactly. And I'm honestly, you know, I've been I've been very disappointed with some of the books that I've read where you're in a, you know, a big fan of an athlete, you know, maybe they're a bit more high profile, let's say, and it's all a bit sterile and a bit boring and bland. And, you know, I I did sort of say if I want to write a, if I'm gonna write a book, then it's gonna it's gonna be honest. I didn't know how interesting it would be for other people, but regardless of that, it was gonna be honest from my perspective and Perhaps one of the most worrying things was those initial chapters of my childhood and not wanting to upset my dad too much and worrying a lot about that because it was, uh, you know, it's, it's a huge positive in my career and I wanted it to be seen as that. And it was part of the reason that I am, that I was the player I, I am and the person that I am. But, it, you know, I didn't want it to come across as a little bit negative towards him. And um, that was one of the biggest worries. But that's what you get when you try to be honest, isn't it? <laughs> No, and I mean you were honest about you know Nicole and Allison and and um, uh, Phil Whitlock, like you know, and and, and I imagine that's I did, I just found it very brave, and and I I enjoyed reading it, um, and you know having seen you been playing, like kind of understand now more about what was happening behind the scenes. I I you know. <laughs> It, it, it was very brave of you to put this out. Um, now, you didn't put it out like Nick and, and James while they were playing, which is even more unusual. But, you know, the <laughs> fact that you did put it out um, and, and we're so honest. And it was also an interesting choice to have so many other people contribute uh, 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 sort of short pieces to the book, um, you know, a half dozen different parts of your team um and, and you know and, and quite a lot from uh, from your long-suffering husband so uh, yeah. you know that that i found that very uh really interesting and in a, in a sort of you know a different kind of choice in a lot of books yeah i mean i think that was actually really interesting for me as well you know to kind of ask people to write a chapter about me without any input from me for my book um and it was really interesting. And I think it I just it's easy, isn't it, as an athlete, as a person to you get so wrapped up in your own world and in your own lifestyle that, you know, quite often maybe people see you very differently or they see you the same or they see they see you with a different, you know, a different lens. And it was important that I think, you know, DP's opinion was in there, Mark's opinion was in there. And, you know, when you when you're talking about trying to inspire young, young players, you talk about how I addressed my physio and my rehab and my prehab, just some things like that from the from Caroline and Jade. And you get a feel very quickly for how professional that side of things were and how it didn't go. You know, people don't see that side of things. And what's really what I'm really looking forward to, and it's taken a little bit longer than I've than 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 has been ideal. But the audio book is about there. It's just getting final approval from Audible as we speak. So um, managed to get most of the chapters to come and record their own chapter so you get a little feel of like you know mark's mark campbell's a kiwi um you know obviously danny dp will you know know them a little bit peter my psychologist like it's really interesting to hear it in their own voice as well so i'm hoping that that'll go down really well that's exciting that, that that's really exciting yeah one, one of the things i i found interesting you know, today, so many people have, you know, a team, as as we would say. 
And that wasn't really the case uh, 25 years ago when I started covering the game. And, um, you know, your relationship with Nicole is so interesting. And uh, to, to you know, read about it, and I've talked to you about it, I've talked to her about it, but to, to, to read about it was really enlightening. And it, one of the things it seems like is you you felt like she had a team and, and, and she kind of didn't go on the, uh, you sort of call it the soap opera of the tour of, you know, all the gossip and who's doing what. And, and she kind of, you know, uh, what's, what's the phrase walled herself off a little bit from all that, uh, off court gossip and, and, and had a team with her and you kind of created that as well. Now your team was, you know, great guys and DP and Danny, and it wasn't, um, it wasn't like you were walled off and, and neither was Nicole either, but, uh, in reality, but it kind of felt that way. And it, it gave you a little buffer. And, and was that something that, you know, you felt really kind of uh, changed your career? Absolutely. And um, Nicole had an air of mystery about her is what I'd say. So you could have a, a little bit of chit chat in the changing rooms, or maybe you'd hit with her because you'd been assigned a practice or something along those lines. But that was as far as you ever got to really knowing her, unless you were in her like inner Instagram. circle, let's say. Or, yeah, um, yeah. And that and that was tough as a as an opponent. I, you know, I'm sure there was part of it that was deliberate from her. I'm sure there was part of it that was just, you know, I need these people around me. I need my coach. I need my physio. I need my psychologist. I've got one or two close friends, and that's it. Yeah. But from an opponent's perspective, you didn't know what was going on. You didn't know whether she'd had a niggle. You didn't know if training had gone well. You didn't know why she'd missed the last tournament. You didn't know why she'd played badly or really well, or the fact she'd not lost in the last year. You didn't know anything and and I felt that from the other side and so tried to just cre- recreate it a little bit. I'm not sort of suggesting that that perhaps is cor- is, is the right path for everybody. Um, I see a lot of the girls on tour that particularly a little bit lower ranked, that would be hugely difficult, not only financially but emotionally to, to kind of break yourself away so early and it, it was something that came about later in my career. I was obviously married and had a really good support team and could even like lean a little bit on Nick and kind of got to know him a little bit and our stories in Philadelphia where we were. Oh my God. I, I, I still remember bumping into you and uh, Danny at a coffee shop, like not, not one of the four or five that everybody else was using, but it was, it was sort of a more obscure one. And, and I, in fact, I just walked by it yesterday thinking about you and, and Danny in there and you were having coffee and I sat down and, and the three of us chatted for like an hour. And all you told me about was, was about sleeping in this Airbnb in, the, in this you know apartment with, with Nick and DP and all the dynamics going on and everybody mad at each other. And it was it was just and you had the, the blow up um, um, uh, mattress. <laughs> mattress. Yeah, I mean, it was just it was some great times, yeah. great memories. And, you know, you have to you have to do what's right for you. And having been around a lot of the players um Let's take someone like Sarah Jane Perry, for example. You know, she's it's not going to work for her. She's not the same personality as me. She would be someone who, you know, I've, I've been by the side of her match waiting to watch her play, you know, numerous times. And she, she'll she come and talk to you like five minutes before she's about to walk on. I mean, if someone comes and tries to talk to me 
five minutes before I'm going on, I'm giving you a filthy look and probably not even acknowledging you. <laughs> so, you know, but she's a different personality, different, yeah. you know, performs yeah. better in a different mindset, let's say. So everybody's different and you have to figure out what's right for you. Um, and that's what I felt was important to, you can have you can have like what Nicole had and create what, or what I had, but create it, what what's, works for you and your mentality. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I have a couple uh, things I want to talk to you about. The first one is your uh, chicken farming experience. I, I love <laughs> reading about that. Uh, and so tell me more about that. And uh, what is actually the current state of those 120 pound Nike uh, uh, sneakers, <laughs> uh, that, that you, you splurged on? We all did that as kids when you know, yeah. my first jobs and my wife's first jobs, we all like saved up money. And then we bought like the dumbest things that like now you're like, that was good. <laughs> so uh, tell me about the chicken farming. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's um, definitely something kind of my dad, again, from his discipline side of well, it was an early morning job, five, you know, up at five, six a.m., whatever it was, down to, and, and to be fair, he was up as well, driving me, driving me down to the farm and these huge egg hut, uh, chicken huts where the chickens would lay the eggs and they'd come off a conveyor belt and you would just stand there boxing them up in trays and the smell I mean I can still smell it to this day and my brother actually did took over the job from me and you know afterwards and he did it a lot longer than I did but yeah you know how those eggs are all nice and clean generally when you get them in the boxes there's someone wiping the <laughs> off, off yep. <laughs> and that was me um and you know you'd pop your head in every now and again and just be like in all i mean there's just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of chickens in there and and these were chickens that were well kept you know they're not kind of you know ones that were weren't allowed to yeah. go out and roam if they wanted to but yeah i you know and the the at the time it was hideous so we got probably got about 10 pound and 15 pound for not very long and you know, you, you move on and, and it's those sort of experiences, really. I also worked at David Lloyd, which I talk about, which was the club I worked at on reception. And they make you they make you appreciate how lucky you are to, to have the opportunity to be a professional athlete. And, yeah. and it's squash, isn't it? It's, it's not even, you know, it's not Emma Raducanu winning the US Open and winning 2.4 million. Yeah. <laughs> but you're lucky. You're lucky to do something that you love. And yeah, yeah, and you, and yeah the trainers, gosh knows. My mum my probably still uses them for the gardening, I think. <laughs> well, I love that. That is like the best uh, end of the... Uh, of that yeah no those early those early jobs uh yeah i just love the fact that you have been a receptionist at your squash club and you know 15 years later you're world champion i mean that's just like it's awesome that's a real it was a big day you know it was a big day when you could quit that job and i said it's funny i've got a friend who is a solicitor and she worked at Pizza Hut to fund the uni, uni and all of that stuff. And she, for years, she didn't quit. She had a full-time job and she was scared to quit because in case she ever needed this Pizza Hut job. Yep. And um, yep. we talk a lot about how that when that day comes where you almost take the leap of faith, it's like, oh my gosh, I can actually make ends meet and I don't need this kind of like job that I don't really like doing anyway. So it's, it's yeah. a big deal when you finally quit it. No, that's right. And commit yourself to, to, you know, your sort of dream. Um, all right. So another thing that's always been interesting is what happens at the, uh, at the beginning of the match with the spin. And I loved how you describe, uh, Nicole and and the spinning and, and lots of people have, uh, habits, um, which is, is, uh, you know, particularly because of squash TV 
seeing it again and again and again, you eventually go, okay, like that's that's a quirk um, that they all have. And then you know the the end of the match. Um, uh, in the old days, everybody kind of it seemed like just shook hands and shook hands sort of the traditional shaking hands way. And then it got into like that sort of other you know uh, version. Of, I don't know what you call that. And then the hugging. And so, you know, tell me, tell me about that evolution. Cause you kind of lived through that whole thing where like, you know, basically, especially the women, but the men too, uh, you know, unless they don't really like each other at all, they're hugging. So what you mentioned yeah. that in the book. Yeah. I mean, I, I, honestly, it's a, it's a little bit of a strange one. I always think I, I just, um, and, and to be honest, there's, there's been a lot of changes throughout my career and Danny will always say, not many people shouted out loud before you came along with the old come-ons and stuff like that. I don't really remember Fitzy and Cassie and um, Carol Oak. Like, there wasn't a lot of, like, outward emotion. And now yeah. you see a lot of the Egyptians, especially the youngsters, and they're, it's like you have to have that. And that's almost maybe maybe I helped that along a little bit, and I'm quite proud of that. <laughs> that's one I'm definitely proud of. But yeah. with um, the hugging, I don't know where that came. And I guess that it sort of links into what we were saying before about having friends on tour, which I've always been a very big... I've, got, I've definitely got a few friends who I'm, you know, who I'm friends with um, and I will keep in touch with forever. But generally, I've always been of the thought process of, that's that's my job and um my friends are at home my friends are the ones that i that i'm that that ring me when i'm not feeling well and they're the ones i go out and have dinner with and have a few drinks with and it'll come around and visit me within a week of having the baby and stuff like that so that's what i've always thought my friends to be and i guess i as i said that's not always the case and probably somewhere around Maybe like Camille has always been someone quite forward with that. It was probably someone like her playing Raneem. They are quite good friends and they've had an epic match. And there was there was a stage where it went to a head pat and I was I was pulling my hair out at that. Because <laughs> I'm thinking if someone pats me on the head, I'm going to go mental. <laughs> but um, I think the only time I would really have hugged someone was if they sort of came in for a bit of a hug at the end of an event. So I know, I remember I hugged sort of Sarah Jane Perry after our British Open, but I wouldn't have probably been the one to instigate it because I'm always like, if you've lost, the last thing you want is like, oh, well done, nice try, but unlucky, um, which is what I which is what I always talked about. I'm not going to thank someone for giving me a beating. Um, so unless they're sort of instigating it, but that that's my opinion and... A lot of other people would say, I, I, I took almost a bit of Serena Williams lead on that. She was very much like um, when they all started doing the kind of upright handshake, she was always one for like shake hands properly with the thumb over the top sort of thing. And she was, you know, I, I thought that I liked that. I like the fact that she doesn't change ends at the same, uh, change sides at the same side as, a, as, as the umpire when you're not supposed to stop for a drink. She goes around the other side of the net. And it's those those things that I always thought were were pretty good. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's it, in a way. I mean, I think there are some dynamics. There are some some people, men and women on the tour, just huggers, you know, and like yeah, you know, just like you're gonna get a hug when you see them, and then yeah. some of some. Or you're like a bum tapper if you're Greg. Bum <laughs> 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 tap with the racket, isn't it? <laughs> exactly right. Like everybody's their thing. But some of it is sort of the evolution of the tour and um, yeah. the game, and, and we are getting more professional, more, um, you know, uh, uh, and so 
these are these are things that are yeah exactly just part of that evolution it's also it's also worth adding probably that the tour was a little bit more bitchy back in the day a little bit a, the girls didn't get on that well and now and now they do and it's genuine you know i can say i didn't have that many friends on tour like that's that's me that's personal but that's not gen- the general rule anymore there's a lot of really close friendships going on you can see that with mm. the way they support each other and social media and things like that so it's it's yeah. important to acknowledge that i think yeah, no, I know that, that that does seem true that there's a lot less sort of deep animosity um, uh, between people, uh, which was definitely the case uh, with some other personalities. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, I want to talk about the world, uh, the world open, the world championships in 2014 uh, in Malaysia, because you had like two insane matches that I think now, you know, it was it was uh, seven years ago. People have kind of forgotten um, five years ago, five years ago. No. Yeah. Seven years ago. I mean, it's just like amazing. So you have Matt, your match ball down. I think you had three match balls against Lowy Wern in the quarter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like that's. Insane. Yeah. My, 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 <laughs> right. So my me- four, um, yeah. And we Wern was, you know, two, three in the world or something at the time, I guess, or maybe more like four or five, I guess, if it was the quarters, but you know, to win these to win these big events you need to have a little bit of luck and i played uh i played three world championship finals in four years i think so i'd lost to nicole in 2012 um was it was a bonus to get to the final like no one was beating really nicole then the 20 i won the 2013 which was postponed to the 2014 the 2014 we all know the story of Raneem having herself four match balls against nicole and then I think I made the final in 2015 against Shabini in Malaysia again. Um, right. And, you know, to win one out of three, I wish I'd won two out. I definitely was 2-0 up in the final against Shabini in the one out, in the one after. And right. that was really tough to take because I lost, I lost my world number one spot. I lost the world championships. There was a car on the line. There was all the prize money on the line. Um, that was a, that was a hard hit to take, but I think as I talked about that, actually having Danny there and when you talk about that team and that bounce back ability to bounce back and go after Dubai straight after it was probably one of my proudest achievements, actually. And that all came from losing the World Championships in against Shabini in 2015. But the, the postponed 2013 one, right. early 2014 <clears throat> was was just was just unbelievable because you know Nicole had unexpectedly gone out um right. to this young Shabini that no one had really seen play much and I was going from you know it's two all watching the live scores come in thinking you know go on Shabini like thinking I don't want to play Nicole in the final and then she wins and then I'm thinking crikey be careful what you've wished for because now all the pressure's on you to go and beat an 18 year old in a world championship final and I've never been so nervous and, you know, at the end of the day, no one ever, like they say, no one ever remembers the quality of the squash. They remember who wins it and thank right. God for that. <laughs> no, but you had this like uh, amazing quarterfinal where, you you know, yeah. you probably should have lost. You you got out of there lucky. I mean, that's on Lowe's uh, home court. And, you know, I mean, it's just, like incredible that you won that match. She was such a strong player. And then uh, is a strong player. And then, and then in the finals, um, I think, the, yeah, this is the one where it's two all and you're down 6-1 in the fifth, right? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I think like, that's insane. Like six one in the fifth of the finals. Yeah. Like, like nobody comes back from that. Yeah. I know. I just, um, you know, so just a couple of events over my career that it really kind of two, two, two times spring to mind. That one and again against Shabini in the Qatar Classic final where it was just, you know, kind of somehow I've managed to get myself back to whatever it was, seven all, eight all. Right. And the same in Qatar. And all I've asked of myself is to just play kind of, I think I say it in the book, like I just, just play three really good rallies four really good rallies. I don't even know why I said that number, probably because I'm thinking, you know, I'm only three points from the finish line, but I've said four because I'm probably going to lose one and <laughs> and play well. And you can still play well and lose. And yeah, I think sometimes that's when when the pressure, um, when people watch from the outside and they say like, oh, you're mentally strong. I felt like probably one of my biggest strengths was this ability to focus in when I was under a huge amount of pressure. Sometimes that was almost harder when the pressure wasn't there, um, whereas other people sort of crumble a little bit. I had this ability to focus in extra hard, and that's what happened, I think, at that point. And there's a huge amount of physicality. Let's be honest, Shabini was 18 at the time, and she's she wasn't even half the athlete she is now. Um, and I played well enough, uh, well enough at that time. So, you know, it wasn't any of our, the matches we played in Dubai and the British Open 2017 when I won. And, you know, she was more the player she is now, but then she was still a junior. She was wearing goggles. It was crazy, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting with your career that, you know, you and Nicole are almost the same age. And so you, you kind of grew up with her and, you know, all time great. Um, you know, just an incredible record, uh, uh, incredible player. And then at the at the end of your career, you bump up against Noor, who, you know, I think history is going to record, right? She's won five world titles now. Like, history is going to record that she is one of the all-time greats. And so, you know, you had you had the misfortune in a way to to have those two players in addition to all the other ones who were who are incredible and had great records and won a lot of major tournaments and but you know having nicole and nor um uh, you know you know reneem i mean you had some really amazing players jumping uh i I actually feel like i was really lucky as well you know because right at the end of my career i caught i caught the very end of um cassie Carol, mm-hmm. Fitzy, yes, and um, you know, right as I was starting out, and Fitzy retired and based herself in Manchester. I was so lucky to be able to get on with her every day and learn from her, and and then you know Vanessa, the Grinhams, um, you know all of the all of these players that are, that are amazing in their own right, and the longevity of my career, I guess, was the gift of you know if I'd retired a little bit earlier, perhaps wouldn't have seen Shabini and Tayeb come through, Goha particularly. Um, right, right, right. Raneem um, <clears throat> was obviously kind of just very young, very good, very young. So I, I, like I say, I think Nicole being, a, being the ex, almost the exact same age as Nicole was tough, but um, I, I genuinely think I'm, I perhaps would have won more if she'd not been there, but I perhaps wouldn't have been as good of a player as I was because she she made the, she she's the one that changed the level of the women's game, and the rest of us sort of reaped the reward from trying to catch that level. And the chin the tin change had a big effect on I think Shabini coming on the scene and 
And also, you can't underestimate how many scars we all had from Nicole from so many years of losing and being up in matches and losing or getting an absolute battering, you know, in front of big crowds. Like, they leave marks on you, whether you like it or not. And Shabini came on the scene and she didn't have any of these scars and she just sort of, then there was a low tin and she was like, I'm just going to put it in the neck and... Um, I think it was it was refreshing to almost see someone with that attitude approach Nicole in the way that she did it almost seemed uh, like this is going to sound a bit harsh but almost seemed a touch disrespectful at the time because no one beat Nicole that quickly like five times in a row it was in no way disrespectful obviously but it was like you don't you don't really do that no one does that to Nicole and she came on and and just was like almost it it's not as hard as you guys are make, <laughs> making out. So, um, yeah, just just two great champions. And look, I, like, I'm, I'm honoured to have been in the same kind of eras as both of them because I don't, like I say, I don't think I'd have probably achieved, I achieved more than I ever thought that I would. And being part of their journeys was is, is special to have achieved as much as I did while they were around. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I loved how you described that the psychology of of those scars and you know squash is such an intimate sport and when you when you have that when you have that memory of having been thrashed by someone or having thrashed them it is so powerful and it it, it, it there is a scar and uh and 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 no one now you know years later can really unless you were a part of it to, to remember how intimidating Nicole was, how dominating she was, you know, months and months, tournament after tournament running through everybody and, uh, you know, world number one for 109 months, like just incredible, uh, domination and how, you know, that's right. She helped raise your game, but it was also really, really tough. Yeah. Really tough. And, but you know, she, yeah, it was, now the way that people win and lose and Shabini is doing it in some ways in her own in her own right the depth the depth is more perhaps than it was back then sure um i do think i do think the top girls are playing a great level but i think since um well as myself raneem um nicole jen like um more yeah um, no, no. Uh, I think no. the depth, the depth at the top end of the game is a little bit more shallow than it was, but it's the level is still really high. But the depth down to kind of thirty, forty in the world is is as high as it's ever been. Right. And um, I think, yeah, just just watching these girls kind of go at it. I mean, Nicole lost once a season or twice at right. the most, and and it was a, it was kind of big news. And right. that that's just not happening anymore. Right. No, that's right. No, nobody, nobody since since that era um, has dominated. You know, year after year, um, like that. That's uh, uh, and you know, we, we might get that again uh, with yeah. you know one of the one of the great players we have right now, or or somebody coming through. Um, um, but that that's right. That era of domination. So I loved. I mean, th- this book is so interesting. Um, uh, did you know that Billie Jean King uh, was coming out with a memoir with the same title? Or, or did Billie call you and say, is it okay if I use the same title? <laughs> um, so we'd, we'd pretty much gone to print. Um, and I think on our WhatsApp groups, one of uh, one of the team sort of said, Oh my gosh, because Faye, Faye and Eleanor, who Faye is my manager and Eleanor was a business partner and helped a lot with like huge amount of editing of the book. 
and they're heavily involved in tennis. Um, that's their main role, Wimbledon and I, ITF and stuff. And so when they saw it, they were like, oh my gosh. So we, I mean, we sort of had a bit of a wobble of, you know, well, should we change the name? And, but to be honest, you know, her book was coming out after mine. So we figured that, you know, hey, someone might type it all in in book, all in book, and mine might pop up. Um, so, yeah, no, it, I mean, I, I read Billie Jean King's uh, Pressure is a Privilege yeah, book. And, that's right. Yeah. Um, so I'd be really interested to read read yeah. all in. Maybe I should try and get her a copy, actually. Well, it's interesting. We, we were talking a um, uh, long time ago, six months ago, when, when we heard the book was coming out that, you know, oh, we should get Billie Jean to, to – to, to come to um, uh, come to Philadelphia for the U.S. Open and and uh, and now I'm thinking what would be really cool is having a joint appearance with the two of you guys. Um, you know, with your competing books. Um, yeah, her, hers is amazing as well. Uh, you know, obviously uh, somewhat different. Every book's different, but um, yeah. Anyway, I haven't actually read it yet, but yeah. um, I, but I but I will do. And um, she was actually on UK TV primetime, like big show. And I'm thinking, I've got a book called All In. No one's asked me to be on this show. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was over the moon with. Um, so the publisher said, you know, is there anyone who you would like to send a copy of the book to? So one of the people that I that I said, if you could in any way get a contact or, you know, kind of, you know, find out where to send a copy, I would love Chrissy Wellington to have a copy because she inspired me so much. I talk about her book all the time and I've recommended it. So they've managed to send her a copy. So I hope that, um, you know, a That's few amazing. other people, I think Judy Murray, Andy Murray, obviously right. the tennis link. So yeah, we'll see. Hopefully um, people enjoy it and it gets yeah. a bit of word of mouth. Yeah. Yeah. So I love you have you have these right great quotes. So I, I just love this quote. Uh, you say two things. I don't know who said this, um, but th this is a quote that uh, you lived by. You said two things will define you: your determination when you have nothing, and your attitude when you have everything. I found that really a great quote. Yeah. I mean, it was. It was sort of probably thinking along the lines of how you handle success, isn't it? That's the biggest thing. I think the biggest thing is, you know, even taking someone like the Emma Raducanu, you know, how on earth is she going to, nobody knows how she is going to respond after that, um, after that win. Right. And I think that was the thing. It's sort of trying to keep your feet on the ground, trying to be humble trying to be appreciative of the people that are around you you can't do it on your own and i think actually nicole was a really good role model for that as well um very humble very uh very complimentary of you know people around her very rarely had an excuse um you know even even if you know publicly at least um right yeah so that's right i think that was what always what, what always inspired me about that quote it's sort of like you know can you still be the same person when you have a huge amount of success right well it's also like uh you know act like a champion when nobody can watch you right like when nobody's yeah. seeing you you've got to you know still have the right attitude yeah yeah, yeah. so tell me what's going on your, um, yep go ahead i was just going to say a lot of your um mental persona and kind of like that what what you just said there that attitude of you know whether one person's watching or is a thousand people watching can you have the same attitude in training and in a league right. match or in a tournament as you can when when you're you know number one in the world or whatever like it's um 
it's a huge amount it's a huge difference to to be able to be that person who can who can try the hardest and that's when i really think that those that mental strength that persona that kind of you know brand that you want to give out to everybody else is built up the one when no one's watching right no that's right i mean you hear all these rumors ah somebody's training really hard ah you know and like that freaks everybody else out they're like oh they're so tough you know they're training on christmas day um yeah changing room talk is half the battle isn't it such really? a body just did like you know 20 sprints after a match or you used to hear that fitzy all the time she'd be off in 15 minutes she's doing a ghosting session around the back i mean that's enough to scare you isn't it (laughs) outside the glass would like to thank our producer grant irving and all our loyal listeners who have reviewed and rated the podcast shared their enthusiasm for it on facebook twitter and instagram and more importantly has spread the word by talking about outside the glass with their squash friends and may all your nicks roll